The book of the Thessalonians, the first epistle of Paul, the apostle to the Thessalonians. We are in chapter one. Uh, We've been beginning this book, um, looking at it. Uh, We looked at a church born in trouble last time. Um, Today we're going to look at the question of what is the church. The title of today's lesson is The Church. Uh, Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 1 says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would bless us today and exalt your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd dispel doubtful disputations and and doubts and um, wrong ideas about the church, Lord, and that you would show through the Word of God what is the church. We pray that we would understand this today, Lord, and, and through that, that we would be free from many of the errors of the wicked. And Lord, I pray that you would just grow your church and strengthen your church. You said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against your church. So we thank you today in Jesus' name for Christ's sake. Amen. Now the church here um, of the Thessalonians is where we're going to start just as our um, our leaping point here. This is kind of a little bit of a jump off sermon, just taking a phrase in the verse and then running throughout the Bible with it. Um, Now, some of you out there might be Bible teachers or preachers. If you take a phrase out of context and run with it and preach your own thoughts, that is the epitome of what is called a jump-off sermon, and that will be a mess every time. But if you stick to the Bible, you can take a phrase and run it through the Bible, and that is called topical preaching, and that can be a real blessing as long as it's scripturally based. Now, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here we see, first of all, that Paul introduces the epistle here to the church as Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus. Now, this is interesting here um, because Paul in no other epistle refers to himself as simply Paul. In every other epistle, he cites some other aspect of his ministry or basis of authority. Um, In the epistle to Philemon, Paul calls himself a servant of Christ. If I remember, I had a bond servant. I'd have to look it up. But um, in almost every other epistle, if not all the other epistles that Paul wrote, he would address himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ or something in that manner and a servant of Jesus Christ. Even to Timothy, his beloved co-laborer and um, the one that he brought up directly as part of his ministry, Timothy, he also referenced his apostolic authority whenever he gave the epistle to Timothy as well as to Titus and both epistles to Timothy and to Titus, but here when addressing the church of the Thessalonians, he gives his name as Paul, comma, and that's it. Just Paul. And that's interesting. There are other churches that he addresses and still calls upon them as an apostle. This church, the church at Ephesus, had some um, doctrinal things that Paul would deal with. He, he didn't really have to deal with much wrong at Ephesus, but he still called himself an apostle and spoke of that position. And then in the church of Galatia, he was t- he was dealing with problems, errors that had come into the church, and he called himself an apostle to the Corinthian church of God, the church of God at Corinth. We're going to run through a couple of those real quick. He called himself an apostle, but to the church of the Thessalonians, 
He called himself just Paul. And I believe that there's a purpose for that and a reason for that, as there is in everything that God did through the Apostle Paul and this Word of God. And um, we'll see more of that as we study it out. Um, just We're just going to touch it and move on. Um, here, Paul spoke to the church at, of the Thessalonians as a church that was born in, a, in trouble, a church that was born out of a time of trouble. He had three Sabbath days reasoning with the Jews in the synagogue before he was kicked out of town, and this church of the Thessalonians was formed without any direct oversight from the Apostle Paul. We find out later as we read this book that the Apostle Paul sent Timotheus back to them to to help them, to assist them. And we know that they had assistance, but they did not have any direct oversight in their formation. This was a church that was born out of trouble. And this was a church that knew perhaps more than any other New Testament church the authority of Christ and the headship of Christ in the local church, all of which we will look at in some detail today. Now this church, he says to them in verse 5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. And then in chapter 2, he says here, um, in verse 13, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And that in and of itself will be an incredible study when we get there. But just suffice it to say right now that perhaps the reason that the apostle Paul was able to address the church of the Thessalonians as Paul and not as the apostle and not citing his authority and not not giving them the reason that they should listen to him is because they had already gone way beyond listening to an apostle and they were listening to the almighty God and the word of God. Do you hear me today? The apostle Paul himself was subject to the holy scriptures. He was subject to the headship and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and he derived his authority from Jesus Christ who sent him. But the church of the Thessalonians did not have the benefit of Paul's presence very long, and they had to rely on the word of God and therefore the direct authority of God Almighty in order to grow, and grow they did, and flourish they did. And here is a church that is born out of trouble, but a church that in their time of trouble found their faith resting not on the words of men, but on the words of God. And they received the word that the Apostle Paul brought them not as the word of the Apostle Paul, but as the word of Almighty God. And Paul commends them for this in the book of First Thessalonians. And this is the secret and the key to the success of the church of the Thessalonians. They were not in a place that was some kind of super spiritual area to live in. They were living in northern, um, the northern Greece area that we would call Greece today, up there, um, over by the isthmus that crosses between, that all but crosses between modern day Turkey and the area um, north of Greece there. And there in Thessalonica, these people found truth in the word of God. They found authority in the word of God. They based their church off of the word of God. And the, these letters to the Thessalonians have no word of approbation in them. Or I'm sorry if I used the wrong word. They have no word of um, 
condemnation from the Apostle Paul in them anywhere in the whole book, in, in, in either of the books. There are some exhortations, but even those exhortations are minimal. You don't find the exhortations like you'll find in Colossians to beware lest no man beguile you. Why? Because when they received the word, they received it not as the word of men, but as it was in truth, the word of God. And this is the key. If you know that you have the word of God, you'll get past all of the other pitfalls and all of the errors and everything else. If Jesus Christ is your head, you will not be beguiled. If you operate under his authority, you will not be deterred. You will not be turned down another way. If you are following Jesus Christ, that's all you need. We talk about that, but we often don't mean it. Jesus is my all and in all. Jesus is all that I need. So here he's Paul, just Paul, and Silvanus and Timotheus, these three brothers in Christ under the church of the Thessalonians. No other church is addressed on such an equal footing by the apostle Paul. What an incredible and amazing opening to the book of the Thessalonians. And so by God's grace, we're going to look at what is a church because we are now in the epistle to the church of the Thessalonians. And it is perhaps the greatest example of a church that we have as far as any local body mentioned in the New Testament is the church of the Thessalonians. So here, Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is a church? What is a church? A church, and this is a definition derived from study of the scriptures. I didn't pull it out of a book. It's just a definition that was written down as this um, through careful study of what the Bible says a church is, and you should cross-check this definition with a careful study of the Scripture yourself. Now, if you depend on men to teach you, you will always be anemic at best if you're even a Christian. So it says, um, here's the definition that we have today. What is the church? A local assembly of individual biblical believers in Jesus Christ gathered in the name and power of our Lord Jesus Christ. A church, the church, is a local assembly of individual Bible believers in the broad sense of the word that they believe the word of God and they're gathered in the name and the power of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is not a grand organization because you won't find one of those in the Bible, but you will find local assemblies. So here's this local assembly, and let's look at the local nature of the church first. I want you to be ready to turn your pages quickly as we go from place to place here. Um, go to 1 Corinthians 1.12. This should be pretty easy to follow because we're just going to go in order through the New Testament, um, grabbing the verses referencing church real quick. So 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. So here is the church of God, which is at Corinth. So we find a location, a local nature of the church of God, which is at Corinth. 2 Corinthians 
chapter 1. You say, this is already getting boring to me. I hope that's not true. I hope you'll persevere and stick through, and I hope God will excite you as we study this. And by the way, a lot of your studies in the Word of God will start out kind of dry, and it'll take some time to build, and to and as you dig through the Word of God, if you'll apply your heart to it and meditate on these truths, you'll start to see the beautiful gems that are coming up out of the Word of God, and then you too will be excited. I'm excited today. I'm more excited about this message than I've been excited about many messages. The devil hates this message. He's been attacking this message already today, trying to stop it from being put up, stop it from being um, preached. 2 Corinthians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. Notice how he says, the church of God, which is at Corinth. He doesn't say a church of God, which is at Corinth. He doesn't say one of the churches of God, which happens to be located at Corinth. He says, to the church of God, which is is at Corinth. Now, if you were sitting in Laodicea and you read the epistle to the Corinthians, you might get jealous and say, how can he say the church of God, which is at Corinth? What does that make us? We're at Laodicea. But nevertheless, Paul called them the church of God, which is at Corinth. Go to Galatians 1, 2. Now, the church at Laodicea is mentioned in the end of 2 Corinthians whenever he exhorts them to read the epistle to the church of Laodicea. I believe it's 2 Corinthians. We'll hit that verse later. I'm sorry, that's Colossians, and we'll get there in just a minute. Galatians 1, 2, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. So now you have a multiplicity of churches, multiple churches, and he's addressing multiple churches in a region. You say, what's the big deal about this? The big deal is we need to understand what God means when he says the church. So he says the churches in Galatia. So that means that there were several churches. So while you have the church of God, which is at Corinth, yet you have the churches of Galatia. Go to 1 Thessalonians quickly. 1 Thessalonians 1. We already read this today. Some of these epistles, and we'll touch on why, some of the epistles do not even use the word church in their opening statements, such as Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. 1 Thessalonians here, um, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians. Now that sounds even more local because it is the church, not of God here in the, in the title, but of the Thessalonians, but no less of God because he says that they are in God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, second Thessalonians chapter one, verse one uses the same exact statement. The church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Colossians 4 and 16, which we just passed, mentions the church of the Laodiceans. Revelation 1.20 sp- speaks of the seven churches. Revelation 2, verse 1, God addresses the church of Ephesus. Revelation 2.8, the church in Smyrna. Revelation 2.12, the church in Pergamos. Revelation 2.18, the church in Thyatira. Revelation 3.1, the 
the church in Sardis, Revelation 3.7, the church in Philadelphia, and Revelation 3.14, the church of the Laodiceans. We find the church in the book of Acts, gathered in Acts chapter 1. You don't have to write down these references. You can just write down the book of Acts. If you want to understand the church, study the book of Acts. We find the church gathered in Acts chapter 1, baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire corporately all together in Acts chapter 2. We find the church in action in Acts chapter 3, and we find the church advancing in the face of persecution in Acts chapter 4. Now, in Acts chapter 5, the church is dealing with corruption within and purges out the old leaven. In Acts chapter 6, the church deals with division and appoints deacons. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen, the deacon, is stoned to death for the glory of of God's gospel and to God's glory um, in persecution. Acts chapter 8, the church is dispersed for multiplication. Acts chapter 9, Saul is converted who was going to persecute the church was exceedingly mad against the church. And then in Acts chapter um, 10, the gospel goes to the Gentiles from the church, and they began to have the church of the Gentiles. Then there's an overreach of busybodies from within the church that nearly causes um, division in Acts chapter 11 because some of the individuals within the church wanted to exclude the Gentiles from the church, but God won. And the Gentiles got to be in the church in spite of the people that didn't want them to be in the church because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Now, Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12, and I did not fact check this statement I'm about to say with a concordance. So if you want to prove me wrong, here's a great opportunity. I haven't checked it out myself so you can prove me wrong. By the way, I'm wrong about a lot of things. But the Bible is always right. Acts chapter 12 is the first outright mention of the church as in reference to the body of Christ gathered. And if I'm wrong, correct me on that. I should have gotten out of concordance, but my concordance is in storage right now. And so I'm kind of just stuck with leafing through the Bible, doing the best that I can. And I thank God that his Bible is sufficient. And you don't have to have a concordance, though it is a useful tool. So Acts chapter 12, the first mention... Um, here of the church and that is in verse 5 Peter therefore was kept in prison but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him now she was there all along the church is a she by the way The church is called the bride of Christ in the Bible. And that's something we don't even have time to begin to study. And that is a study all of itself. And it lines up perfectly with this and lends power and authority to everything here that we're learning and and the word of God. So it is worth studying. Lord willing, we'll get to it one of these days. She was there all along, but the word church is not as important as the reality of the church. Do you follow me today? The word church is not as important as the reality of the church. The word church is always found with a little c in every one of these mentions that we have studied. A little c. It is not a proper noun. Understand that today. This will help you. The word church is not a proper noun in the Bible. It is a general noun. 
The word bride in the Bible as referencing the church is a proper noun, but the word church is not a proper noun. It is not a name of a group. It is not a name of an organization. It is a descriptive term that describes the body of believers. And we'll get into that and the def- as we define it biblically, it's the locally assembled or the universally considered body of Christ. Go to Ephesians 4 real quick. Ephesians chapter 4. We've got to move quick. Trying to talk about the subject of the church in one Bible time podcast is way overkill. Way too much information. We cannot get it all in. We're going to basically survey and define. We're going to survey the doctrine of the church and define the church based on that survey of what the Bible says. And then we're going to move on. That's our goal today. We're not going to get down into the nitty gritty. So um, Ephesians 4 and 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effect working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This is talking about the church. Verse 15 says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So here is Christ, the head of the body. And then go to Ephesians 6 verse 25. And we're actually going to look at verse 23, one of the most hated verses in the Bible in America. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So there you find Christ is the head of the body. Christ is the head of the church. And here the body is going to be likened to a wife. And he is the savior of the body. So there in Ephesians 4, whenever it says that Christ is the head, and it says the whole body fitly joined together, it's speaking of the church by direct and clear, plain contact. Study it out. Look at it. I'm not making it up. He is the savior of the body. Verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. Woo. Hallelujah. In everything. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Little C, the church. This is not big C church. Anywhere you find an organization that has a big C church. And that's what they're claiming is the church. And they've got the great big C on it there and they're claiming this is the church that Christ died for and they're not just saying this is a local body of believers and they're applying it to the universal body of Christ and claiming to be that they've already gone off the deep end the Bible uses the church in a universal aspect as a general noun with a lowercase c. And it, God promised to preserve every jot and tittle. That's why you better make sure you have the inspired and perfectly preserved word of God and not some cheap knockoff that you can get dime a dozen anywhere. Over 278 copies was a stat I heard not too long ago. We're pushing over 500 now. And going on. You can get whatever kind of Bible you want, but there's only one word of God, the Holy Bible. And we've got it perfectly preserved in the authorized version that some people call the King James Version. It's actually the the authorized version, the original translation of the Bible into English. Moving on. Just a translation. That's all it is. A perfect translation of the word of God, unedited, unabridged, perfectly preserved. Now, 
Here he says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So the church then is under the headship and the authority of Christ. The church is the wife, the bride, the bride to be, which here as the wife should submit herself to the husband, so should the church submit herself to Christ, the consummation of the bride to make her the wife instead of the bride that is waiting to become the wife is yet to happen. And that's all Bible doctrine that we don't have time for, but is in the Bible and we'll get to it, Lord willing, in our studies. But here the 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 wife, the, the bride, the wife-to-be, the church is to be subject to Christ as a wife is to be to her husband. And let's just camp on that just a second. How many of you want a wife that says she loves you but gets all of her orders and understanding of your will from another man? I'm serious. I'm asking the question. How many of you want to go to the marriage altar and say, I do till death do us part and then drive away in the back seat while your wife sits up front with your best man? And when you get to the room, he goes in with her and you sit in the car. And then the rest of your life, you get a room outside and that man gets a room inside with her. He tells her what you meant. He tells her what you said. He tells her what to do. He tells her where to go. And he's the one that controls every part of her life. And you just bring home the bacon and give it to that man to minister to that bride. You say, where are you going with this? How do we get off on this? Any organization that takes the place of Christ as the direct head of the church is doing just that. They have come in between the husband and the wife. Listen, there is no room in between a husband and wife for another person. Two's company, three's a crowd. And anybody that comes between a man and his wife is a usurper, an adulterer. He's a, he's a wicked pervert. He's somebody that's trying to manipulate that wife, trying to get something for his own gain. And we know this. This is obvious. Well, the church is supposed to answer directly to Christ, not to some other organization or man. And any organization or man that tries to stand between Christ and his bride is nothing but a pervert and an adulterer and a whoremonger. Now we're going to move on. So the church is to submit to Christ as a wife to her husband. Christ loves the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. And we've got all these jokers out here running around in various religious garb and apparel with different kind of organizational taglines attached to them trying to wash the church in their own water. They've got their doctrines. They've got their dogmas. They've got their prophecies and their revelations and they're trying to wash the church so-called and what they have is not the church at all because the church won't put up with that do you hear me today what bride is worth being called a bride if she's going to run around with another man do you hear me and if a bride's running around with another man she's not a bride she's a trollop that's an old word she's a trollop that just means no better than a harlot Oh, wait a second. The book of Revelation tells us there's a harlot church. Hmm. All right, moving on. 
So, ought men to love their wives as their own bodies? He moves on down. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh. We're in verse 29. But nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. If you are eating the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ, you are eating the church because the church is members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So if you are partaking and eating the church in order to have favor with God, number one, you cannot be the church because the church is part of his bones, of his flesh. Number two, you're a cannibal and God's going to destroy you because you're trying to devour the very flesh of his bride. And what husband will allow some man to come up and start chewing on his wife's arm? And moving on. This isn't rocket science, folks. This is basic, okay? This is basic. If you will get Bible doctrine, what the Bible says, you get the Bible, what the Bible says down. You understand it. You believe it. You know it. You will be stupid proof. But if you do not know the Bible, you will be completely susceptible to every lie that Satan throws at you. The key is to know the Bible, which is what Christ um, sanctifies, washes his bride with. So he says here in verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Hallelujah. So in Acts, we have the church in Acts chapter 12 praying together. She's there all along. But what does the Bible call the church before it calls the church the church? Pop quiz question here. What does the Bible call the church before the Bible calls the church the church? Let's have some names. Come on. The disciples. It calls the disciples. It calls them the saints. It calls them the followers of Jesus Christ. It calls them the brethren. It calls them all these names before it calls them the church, which those names then are more important than the name the church. So the church then is made up of followers, disciples of Jesus Christ who are saints. He says in his letter to Corinth, to, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, called to be saints. So the, what makes a church a church is an assembling, a gathering together of saints, of, of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's no stretch. That's Bible. Whether locally assembled or universally considered, the organization of a church is not put in the Bible. We have some offices and stuff we'll overview quickly here in just a little bit. But an organization, a denomination, a corporation, a great big conglomeration, whatever else you want to put, a society, a fraternity, a sorority, they're not in the Bible as regards a church. What is in the Bible with the lowercase c church is a group of people called to be saints, gathering in the 
the name and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm excited about this today. If you will get this, I'm telling you, you will miss 10 million potholes in the road of your life. You will sidestep all kinds of ignorant trash that you don't need to be weighted down by and that will get you absolutely sunk in your faith if you don't sidestep it. This is absolutely key and it's absolutely simple. Do you hear me? This is who's getting this so far. This is simple. This is absolutely simple. A church is made up of saved people. A church is not a big corporation. A church is not a big building. A church is not a group of people that have organized themselves under bylaws. That doesn't make anybody a church. A church is a group of saints called to be saints. You got to be a saint to be a real church member. Do you hear that? If you are a member of the Roman Catholic Church, they say that they make people saints. But God only recognizes saints as his church. So I guess you're out of luck. Not in the church. That's rough. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. God recognizes saints gathered together in the name and the power of the Lord Jesus as his church. Nothing more, nothing less. So let's look at what this means to be gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus. Go to Romans chapter 1 quickly. Romans chapter 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called Christ, called to be an apostle. A servant of who? Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, etc. Verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Verse 4, and declared to be the son of God with power. And he goes on, verse 6, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to the end of the book of Romans in verse 16. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ saturates this book from the entire New Testament from one end to the other. And Romans 16 verse 27, to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, unto the church of God which is at Corinth to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Wait a second. It said there all that call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10 says that if thou shalt call, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. These are people who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and they're gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 4, he tells them in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ when you are gathered together. In 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 2, We'll find it again. You can follow these verses in your Bible because we're just going in order. So it's super easy. Second Corinthians, and we're skipping a whole lot of them. Second Corinthians um, 1, 2. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Second Corinthians 16. And then we'll look at Galatians uh, 1, 3. Second Corinthians. Uh, not 16, I'm sorry. Second Corinthians um, 13. Verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Galatians 1, 3, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 6, 23. 
Another wrong reference. Galatians 6, 18. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Ephesians 1, 2. Grace be to you in peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you getting the trend here? We've got Ephesians 6, 23. We'll go there real quick. Ephesians 6, 23. Peace be to the brethren in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, wait, 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 wait. Didn't he mean to say and from the church at Antioch? Didn't he mean to say and from the church at Jerusalem? Didn't he mean to say, wait, Paul called to me an apostle duly laid hands on by the uh, apostle Peter and sent out of the first church at Jerusalem and operating under their authority by which you are also placed under their authority? It doesn't say that. Anywhere, every one of these churches, he's exhorting them and commanding them and calling them together to their assembly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians, grace be unto you, verse 2, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say from the apostle Peter. He said from the from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians um, chapter 4 and verse 23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Colossians 1 2 to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ Colossians 3 and verse 17 let and whatsoever ye do in word or deed do all in the name of the church at Jerusalem is that what it says it says and whatsoever ye do in word or deed do all in the name of your local presbytery is that what it says And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of your denomination. Is that what it says? Absolutely not. It says, and whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. First Thessalonians 1 we've looked at. He says of the Thessalonians under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he closes the book in a similar manner in 5 and verse 28. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Second Thessalonians 1, 1 and 2. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to um, 318 the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And every book of the New Testament from Matthew to Revelation is based on the name, the authority and the exalted greatness of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Jesus Christ, the one made mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus. Colossians 1.18 tells us that he's the head of the church. Go there quickly. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence for it pleased the Father, that in him should all fullness dwell. All fullness for any church and every church under the sound of heaven and under the, under the, under the whole scope of God's creation, the only preeminence It belongs to Jesus Christ and not to any man or office. Now Ephesians verse four, Ephesians chapter four. 
Ephesians chapter 4, you say, what's your problem? You don't like our extra organizational add-ons that we've done. God said, do everything decently and in order. Why don't you go along with our little schemes? And I tell you, if I was a bride and I got in the car and some stranger got in behind the wheel and pushed my darling beloved into the back seat, I'd start clawing his eyes out. Do you hear me today? And he says, yeah, you can have your husband, but you got to go through me. I'd claw his eyes out. And if you really love the Lord Jesus Christ, you won't let anything or anyone get in between you and the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians says in chapter 2, verse 10, and you are complete in him. And you are complete in him. Verse um, 19 says that these people will come and beguile you of your reward, reward through a voluntary humility. They will bring you underneath them and out from under Christ to get under them. And they will beguile you. And they will not, he says, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, all the body, do you hear me today? Jesus Christ is the head over all things to his church. And he is the one that washes his church he is the one that nourishes his church amen that's bible you go through the whole bible first peter um, peter says he's an apostle of jesus christ he didn't come in his own name he didn't come in the power equal to christ second peter says a servant peter a servant and an apostle of jesus christ and he concludes his book with grow in the grace and the knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ to him be glory both now and forever amen first john 5 20 says even in his son jesus christ this is the true god and eternal life now to operate in the name of the Lord Jesus, we touched on this before, means that you must be authorized by the Lord Jesus. You must be under the authority of the Lord Jesus. You must be obedient to the wishes of the Lord Jesus. And you must be acting in the authority of the word of the Lord Jesus, the Holy Bible. The book of Psalms says God has magnified his word above his name. I want you to hold up your authorized version Bible, the perfectly preserved Word of God, hold it up right now. This book that we hold up, the authorized version Bible in English is a perfectly preserved translation, the perfect translation of the Word of God into English. And this Bible is the authority that we must live by. This Bible is what God says he has honored above his name. So if you say you come in the name of Jesus, listen to me, young man. If you come to me and tell me you come in the name of the Lord Jesus, but you don't believe the Bible, are you telling the truth? What's that? Say it loud. No. Absolutely not. You're right. No, you cannot be truly in the name of the Lord Jesus if you do not obey the word of God. This is the very authority of God that we hold in our hands. His name is above every name. You can put them down now. Thank you for your cooperation. His name is above every name that is named, the Bible says, and things in heaven and things in the earth. And yet he says, I have magnified my word above my name. How does this apply? Any group or organization that 
it sets aside the word of God, allowing dogmas, doctrines, revelations, prophecies, teachings, etc. to usurp the authority of the word of God is not and cannot be the or even a church of Jesus Christ. Do you hear me today? Any group or organization, this just this cuts through all the mustard. Do you hear me today? This gets you right down to the meat. Right past all the fixings and right down to the meat. How do you know a group is of God? How do you know a church is a church of God when you pass hundreds of different names, hundreds of different titles, hundreds of different denominations, many of them claiming to be the true church of Jesus Christ? How do you know they're of God? Do they obey the Bible? It's that simple. It's that simple. Do you hear me? You do not need a seminary education to be able to discern the true from the false. Just know your Bible. And when they stop following the Bible, stop following them because they're not of God. They're not of God. They're not of God. If they were of me, they would keep my commandments. Is a rough paraphrase of what Jesus said. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. <coughs> you do not keep his commandments because you do not love him. You can be a club, you can be a society, you can be a charity, you can be a university, you can be a corporation, you can be a sorority, you can be a fraternity, you can be a conglomerate, you can even be a theocracy, a theocratic government, you can be a monarchy, you can be whatever you want to be, but unless you are submitted to the very word of God as the final authority for every practice, you are not considered by God a church. Not the church. You're some kind of church of Satan. And I say that with love. Jesus says, if you, if you loved me, you would keep my sayings. He says, you do not keep them because you're not of me. You cannot hear my sayings. Read the book of John. He tells them, you're of the father, your father, the devil, and his works will you do. Therefore, the church, a local assembly of individuals, of individual biblical believers in Jesus Christ gathered in the name and the power of Jesus Christ is the church in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less. Therefore, the church, we've got a few therefores here. If this is true, which I submit to you the scriptures today that it is true, therefore the church must recognize only the following offices. We're going to go through this part fast because we don't have the time to teach on it. Ephesians 4.11, go there fast. The church must recognize only the following offices because Christ alone can appoint the offices of the church. Ephesians 4.11 says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets. Read the context. It's Jesus Christ himself doing this. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now listen, if you are a perfect saint and you have everything you need for the work of the ministry and to edify the body of Christ, what else do you need? What else do you need? Nothing. 
Christ gave these offices and he says that he gave them till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, we are not that perfect man yet and therefore Christ's five offices are still in full effect. But how you define those offices will vary based on your prejudice. Now, in the Bible, you have the 12 apostles of the Lamb. We've taught on this and you can like it or lump it, um, but we're not studying it today um you can go back and study it i'll just brush over it reminding you the things that we've already studied and we'll study it in more detail as we cover it uh, this um, particular group we've already studied through ephesians in this time around anyway but lord willing we'll study it again someday so the apostles are the 12 apostles of the lamb only 12 read the book of revelation and the qualification therefore biblically of the apostle if you're going to have a biblical church you've got to have biblical offices and a biblical apostle is one who was physically lived alongside of christ who was a witness of what christ did paul himself said that he was as one born out of due time that god cut him grass him in to the apostleship so I'm sorry too late for you Jack do you hear me today you want to say oh I am the apostle Jack I'm sorry too late Jesus died was buried he rose again the third day and he gave us the 12 apostles and you missed the boat you're gonna to have to find another boat to get on good luck with that now the as for the ministry of the apostles carrying the gospel to the world that ministry is carried out by missionaries who operate under the direct authority of the 12 apostles of the lamb when they carry their bible that is perfectly preserved into the dark regions of the world and preach the gospel you say where are the apostles in your church if your church doesn't have apostles it's not a biblical church where are they? I'm carrying their, their work in my hand. The living work of the apostles. And I'm preaching out of them today in Thessalonians. That is the 12 apostles of the church. And the ministry, all the ministries of the church, flow out of that apostolic ministry. And in a sense, are under the authority of the apostles directly. The 12 apostles of the Lamb. As to the succession of apostles, you email me and show me where in the Bible God Almighty himself ratified and verified the succession of apostleship and I'll go with you. Until then, you're wrong. You can't show me from the Bible, you're wrong. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry one bit. I'm grateful to God for the truth. There's apostles. We got to keep moving. Lord, help me not to get hung up. There's prophets, which are preachers. There's evangelists, which are soul winners. There's pastors, which are bishops, elders, overseers. They're referred to that in the Bible. And there's teachers who teach the Bible. Deacons are given expressly in 1 Timothy 3.8 and are included as servants of the church. Never to have authority over the church, but rather to have delegated authority authority over church operations to keep things running smoothly for the offices to function and operate qualifications for pastors are given in first timothy and in titus we're not going to study that i'm just mentioning it the qualifications are mentioned if your pastors and evangelists and apostles and whatever else you want to have do not meet the qualifications of the word of God you are either a church in rebellion and about to suffer the judgment of God or you're not the church 
And one of those qualifications, by the way, is that the pastor cannot be a woman. Read it. He's got to be the husband of one wife. And God says transgender stuff is an abomination. So good luck with that one. I know you've got all your seminary garbage, but um, listen, I, I, there's no better way to say it than just say it. Darlene, you can't be an apostle. Sorry. If the apostle's got to operate in all five of the gifts. The apostle's got to operate as the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. And if you can't be qualified to be a pastor, you ain't no apostle either. And we're moving on. Therefore, if the church must be under Christ, then the church recognizes only two ordinances. Pay attention. Pay attention. Only two ordinances. We don't have time to study these out, but we will as we go through the Bible. Biblical baptism of believers by immersion. If you're sprinklers, I'm sorry, it ain't in the Bible. The Bible teaches baptism by immersion. And then communions in remembrance. This involves literal bread and literal fruit of the grape, not the body and blood of Christ. And if your so-called communion or sacraments has some kind of power to turn it into human flesh and blood, you are violating the commands of the apostles who said not to eat the blood and pass that on to the Gentile church and you have another ordinance and another communion table. So if you do not have the two ordinances of the church... You have unbiblical ordinances, not the church. You've perverted, you've gone aside. The church recognizes only one purpose, and that is the Great Commission, to carry the gospel unadulterated, plus nothing, minus nothing, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures and was buried and rose again the third day, and the purpose of the church is to carry the gospel to all the world. The church recognizes only one source of doctrine and the sole authority for every practice. If the Lord ever let me start a church, I might just put on the sign, The Church. Amen. The church recognizes only one authority. The only one source of doctrine and the sole authority for every practice, and that is the Holy Scriptures. All your other stuff is not qualified to be a church. Pay attention now. Pay attention. Does that make sense? Did we get too deep for some of you? That's okay. You'll get there. Keep studying. Pay attention. Listen to me. If the Bible teaches baptism by immersion for believers, and there's a church that teaches that they're going to baptize, for example, babies who've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, Are they doing biblical baptism? No. They're not holding to the ordinance as given in the word of God. They're holding to a doctrine and commandment of men. And therefore they have erred from the Bible. And if they continue in that error and refuse to be corrected by scripture, then they evidence that they are not the church because the church follows Jesus and the church obeys Jesus. Do you copy that? The church is the bride of Jesus Christ. Do you think that a group that does not listen to Jesus and follows the doctrines and commandments of men can be the bride? No. 
his bride follows him. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow my call. Read John chapter 10 sometime. Not a requirement for those of you that are here as a class. That is not a requirement, but you'll get there. All this other stuff is not qualified as a church. You have a home group Bible study. And you say, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And you quote that verse from Scripture and you say, we're the church, because here we are gathered. But wait a second. You don't operate under the authority that God gave the church. You don't have the officers that God gave the church. You don't follow the ordinances of the church. You don't recognize the Bible as the sole authority and source of doctrine for every practice. Not a church. I'm sorry. Your home Bible study. And good luck with it. But you need to be in a church. You need to be in a church and God has his church. Listen to me today. Your high church pomp and circumstance stuff. You're doing all this extra stuff. You've got all this extra organizational hierarchy stuff and all this fancery stuff. You're not, listen, you've, you've gone outside the bounds of a church. Your healing ministries, um, your denominations, seminaries, cathedrals, buildings, all this stuff is vanity. The building is a meeting place for the church. Do you hear me today? And if the church's building gets taken away, the church is still the church. Now Christ loves the church, and Christ's church has been there all along. Listen to me closely today. Everybody wants to know who's the church, so they say, I'm going to do a Google search and find the oldest church, and then I'll know who the church is. Wait a second. Oldest church. People die. How many of you figured that one out? Okay, people die. Most people live around 70 years of age. How many of you kind of figured that one out? Some people live a little older than that. God set the limit around 120 years of age for mankind in the Bible. So some people live older, but everybody dies. And the church is made up of people. The church is individuals. So if you find the oldest church and it says it's 2,000 years old, can it possibly be the church or is it an organization that calls itself the church? If the church is people and people die at no more than 120 years of age, then can the church be an organization that's 2,000 years old? Absolutely not. It cannot. The church is the individuals gathered in the name of the authority of Jesus Christ. And their succession then is not a succession of an organization. Their succession is a succession of submission to the word of God and a refusal to submit to the overreach of groups and organizations. By the way, you can trace the church through history. This, this is going to help you. Listen to me. This is going to help you. How do you know who the real church is? First of all, stop looking at the organizations. Just stop. And start looking at the people. Look at the people. Not the organization. Jesus said, ye shall know them by their fruit. Not ye shall know them by the size of their hat. Or the stick that they carry. Or the orb that they sit on their lap. Or anything else like that. Do you hear me today? Jesus said, ye shall know them by their fruit. Look at the people. Are the people in submission to the word of God? Do they hold the word of God as the final authority? Do they structure themselves in the order defined in the word of God? Do they hold to the ordinances that Christ commanded his church to do? If they do, they are the church. 
And the moment they stop to do that, they are not the church. Even though an individual in that group may be a saved individual, the assembly is what's called the church. And if the assembly is not following Christ, then the assembly is not the church. Even if you have two or three Christians gathered there in the name of the Lord Jesus inside that building with the other people in that assembly. Do you follow this line of logic today? It's basic logic. The church is the people, the saints. In submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, any group, organization, club, whatever you want to call it, it can say church on the door, but if the people are not in submission to the Word of God as the final authority, then that organization, whatever it says on the door, has ceased to be a church, whether it says First Baptist, whether it says Independent Fundamental Bible Believing, King James Only Pre-Millennial, Dispensational Baptist Church, whether it says Mennonite Church, whether it says Catholic Church, whether it says Episcopalian Church, you measure whether or not it's the church by the submission of the people to the authority and headship of Christ through His Word. And then you find the church. And when you find that, the confusion goes away. We're wrapping up here today. I can remember the day that God helped me to see this truth as I was trying to figure out religion. I was trying to figure out how all these different groups that name the name of Christ can exist and call themselves church and uh, which one's really right. Where did this one come from? Looking back to a degree in history, um, meeting people, talking to them. Uh, being in various churches for various reasons, wondering how to put this all together. And the Lord showed me what I'm trying to teach today through the Word of God, that the church is not the bricks and mortar. The church is not the name on the sign. You can say Baptist church on your sign and not be a church. You can say the Catholic church and not be a church. You can say Lutheran church and not be the church. Just a group, just an organization. Just a, a group that has commonly agreed to follow certain bylaws and rules, but not the church. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you loose us from all the demonic deception in this world and just help us to follow you. Help us just to get rid of all the junk. And just go back to the Word of God and faith in Christ. Thank you for your church, Lord. I thank you that your church has been and will be till you come. I worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. In a final word of closing here. You can trace the church throughout history. You can trace the church throughout history because the church has refused to submit to human leadership Human headship, I'm sorry, not leadership. The true church submits to God, to Christ's leadership. But the true church has never been willing to submit to human headship that usurps the place of Christ. And this has cost the church much it's cost the church much blood. It's cost the church much suffering as all the various man-made organizations and denominations throughout time and throughout the centuries 
have caused grief and persecution and bloodshed to the church because the church is a local autonomous body and it is also universally the collection of local autonomous bodies of believers who are biblically believers and following the Bible as the sole source of authority and therefore one in Jesus Christ under his head. Thank you for your time today.